They're amazing folks, aren't they? I love Nathan and Shannon and Emery. And um, as many of you know, their partners are uh, a couple from our church. So working together there um, in uh, Southeast Asia. We'll leave it at that since the video is running now. So um, another one of the many connections that we enjoy between our two churches and uh, love it. So let's bring you greetings from Living Grace Church and our elders and uh, just so honored to be here. Eric's one of my favorite people in the world and um, so privileged to, to fill this pulpit. I know the seriousness of which this pulpit is filled with the word of God, and I hope to do that this morning as we, uh, as we open up the scriptures and, and really just try and exalt Christ and show you who God is in a, um, in a different way um, of who he is. Let me pray, shall we? Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Your word is truth, and we pray, Lord, that you would sanctify us in your truth. Would your spirit speak through your word, through your preacher, to your people, that you might be glorified this morning, that our hearts might be challenged to share the gospel here in the streets of Bakersfield and to the nations, particularly to those who have never heard the name of Jesus. Would you be honored in our time today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Typically in Bakersfield, if the news wants to uh, ask people or take a survey. They go to Costco, don't they? They go to Costco and they stand outside of Costco with the microphone and they ask people a variety of questions. Well, I wonder if they ask them this question. Sit outside of Costco and they stick a microphone in the front of somebody and they said, what was the mission of Jesus while he was on earth? What do you think the average Bakersfieldian would say to that question. A lot of them might say, well, Jesus came to, you know, spread love, and Jesus came to be a good person, and Jesus came to show us maybe how to, you know, do the Ten Commandments, or Jesus came to, you know, help people. He came to heal people. And then if there was a really smart person, because they were from LBC, they would say something like, well, Jesus came to be born of a virgin, and Jesus was God and man in the flesh, and Jesus lived a perfect life, and Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and then he was buried, and he uh, was rose from the dead on the third day, gaining victory over sin and death, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's awaiting his glorious return. And how many of us could argue with that? That's, that's brilliant. That is absolutely, I mean, a priority of the mission of Jesus, is it not? All of those things. But I want to encourage us today and challenge us today that if we just left it at that, that that was the only mission of Jesus, that if Jesus, upon his ascension, his mission was over on this earth, we would be missing out a significant part of the mission of Jesus. Jesus certainly came to do all of those things. There's no doubt about it. That's, that's the gospel. Jesus came to live a perfect life, die on the cross, be buried, rise again, ascend to the Father, awaiting his glorious return. Absolutely. But let us not be mistaken that part of what Jesus was doing here in his 
three, three and a half years of his public ministry is instilling in his followers, not just the 12, but those other followers of his to, to make them into really a movement of people who could take the gospel where they were and to the nations. He's instilling within them a mindset of passing the baton on, that the gospel would not stop with them. That necessitated, one, that they know the gospel, two, that they knew what the gospel was not, and that they would communicate the gospel where they were and everywhere. And I want to show you this morning that that is not a new concept. Jesus didn't come up with that. He came up, he, he, he communicated that because he's God. And our God is a missionary God. This has been the plan since day one, that the gospel, if you will, would go to the nations, that God would draw a people from him, for himself from all the nations of the world, as God defines all the nations of the world. Remember, even way back in the Old Testament, in Genesis 12, with Abram, remember that was his first name, Abram. Abram means the father of a nation. God promised Abram that he would be the father of a nation. He would give him an heir, which was going to be rough because in their old age, but God was going to do it, and he would give him a land. We call that the Abrahamic covenant. Did you remember that just a few chapters later, though, God changes Abram's name to what? Abraham. Why the name change? Sounds better? Has a better ring to it? No. Abram means the father of a nation. Abraham means the father of many nations. God's plan is not just going to be a nation unto himself, although certainly that was going to be a priority, and we'll, we'll see that. But God's plan even in that was that my name would be made great throughout all the earth. We read the rest of the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. We read about God's promises that his glory would spread throughout all the earth. Read later that his fame would spread through all the peoples of the world. So is it not a mistake? It's not curious, is it, that when Jesus would come, that Jesus' mission would be a priority to the Jewish people, no doubt, but that his mission would also be to the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting that in the New Testament, the very first time that we see the gathering of the 12 disciples, Jesus gathers them. The first time we see all of their names, what is the first thing that Jesus does with these 12 disciples? Have a Bible study? No doubt he had been teaching them. Are they sing Kumbaya? No, not yet. That's coming later. What does he do with these 12 disciples? Almost immediately, sends them out. He's communicating to them, we're not just going to sit here. You're not going to be consumers, 12 disciples, just sitting here doing nothing. You are going to be evangelists. You are going to be gospel proclaimers. And in these 12, Jesus sends them really to the 12 tribes of Israel. He tells them in Matthew chapter 10, 
Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. He tells them to go nowhere amongst, before that, he tells them to go nowhere amongst the Gentiles yet, but go first to the people of Israel. It would seem natural, wouldn't it? The Jewish Messiah would come as a priority to the Jewish people. No doubt about it. That's exactly what he does. Sends the 12 to the 12 tribes, if you will. But even in that sending, there is this hint that that's not all that they're going to do. That, that's, that's not where this is going to end. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, as wise serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the what? Gentiles. There's a million things that we love about Jesus, of course, but don't you love the fact that there's no bait and switch with Jesus? There, there, there is no prosperity gospel with Jesus. There is no health and wealth with Jesus. There is no your best life now with Jesus. And he tells them on day one, you sign up to follow me, here's what life's going to be like. You're going to get flogged. These guys are going on, I don't think I signed up for that part. Well, guess what? Yeah, you did. Beloved, we signed up for that part. We signed up, whether we knew it or not, to be a follower of Jesus means that we will sacrifice. It means that there will be hardship. It does not mean that we get to just sit in the pew and be a consumer and everybody up here better give us what we need or what we want. We sign up to be sacrificial people proclaiming the gospel here on the streets of Bakersfield and all around the world. Jesus communicates that in his very first day on the job with these 12 disciples. But as you may know, this isn't the only sending. Later in the Gospels, in in Luke chapter 10, there is another sending. The first sending was 12. You remember how many was involved in the second sending? 72. Why 72? Why not 64 or 52 or 87? Why 72? Well, it goes back to the days of Noah. And if you go back to the days of Noah in Genesis 10, and you were able to count the descendants of Noah, guess how many descendants of Noah there are? 72 rabbinical tradition held. There are 72 in rabbinical tradition held that there were 72 descendants of Noah. What those, are those 72 descendants of Noah representative of for rabbinical tradition? the Gentile world. Those 72 descendants of Noah were representative of the Gentile world. Do you see what Jesus is doing? In the first ending, he says, we have a priority to go to the Jewish people. They are our people. Let's call them and let's call them first. But not very long after, Jesus makes a very clear communication to his disciples and of course, by proxy to us in the word, that he's going to the 72 as well. And he sends the 72 out. And for us, 
72 is just a number, but now I hope fully we understand. They would have got it right away. 72. Oh, I know who the 72 are. Those are representative of all of the Gentile nations. See what Jesus is doing. I'm sending you, my followers, to the people of Israel, and I'm also sending you to the nations. The Gentiles are not going to be excluded in this mission that we have here. Certainly the priority is to the Jews. The Gentiles are not going to be excluded. We see this demonstrated in the life of Jesus, and we would expect to see it demonstrated in the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, in the very beginning, if you will, of the life of Jesus, in his birth and even in his genealogy, we see Gentiles included. What's interesting is that for a Jew to be a rabbi or a Jew to be a priest, they had to have what's referred to as a clean genealogy. They had to be able to go back in their genealogy and prove that everybody in their genealogy had pure Jewish blood. Their grandmothers or, or sisters or moms could never have been taken as a slave by a foreign land. And you guess why? Don't know what's going to happen to mom or grandma when they're in a foreign land. Don't know who their offspring are going to be. So if you were to be a priest in that day, have a high position, religious position, you had to be able to prove that your lineage is pure. Look at the lineage of Jesus. I mean, if anybody's lineage is supposed to be pure, would it not be the Jewish Messiah? But even in Jesus' genealogy, we have four Gentiles. And not only four Gentiles, but we have four Gentile women. And I'm sorry, ladies, but women in that day were not looked upon like they should have, maybe. Certainly not like you are today. Remember the prayer of a Jewish man in that day, God, please don't make me a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. Yikes. And in the genealogy of Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, there are four Gentiles. Tamar, the Canaanite. Rahab, a Canaanite. Interesting, both of them, not only were they Canaanites, not only were they, um, were they Gentiles, but they were not exactly women of upstanding character, right? Tamar played the prostitute. Rahab, who was a prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite. And then do you remember, it just says, the wife of Uriah. It doesn't even say her name, which is who? Bathsheba. It just says, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Well, we have no reason to not think that Bathsheba was a Hittite as well. Who's the wife of a Hittite? That's Uriah. Even in the genealogy, God is showing us and proving to us that, that this is not Jewish exclusive, that Gentiles are going to be included in this. Later in Luke 17, the healing of the 10 lepers, who's the only one to come back and thank Jesus? A Samaritan. 
Jesus highlights this Samaritan. In, Luke, in John chapter 4, Jesus sits down with the woman at the well. Where are they? What, what country are they in? They're in Samaria. You all have heard so many times how the Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews. They were referred to as half-breeds or dogs. They were the people that got taken away into captivity by Assyria and then interbred and intermingled and then had come back and the pure Jewish people looked down on them. They would they looked down on them so much that they would not even walk through Samaria. They would go around Samaria. When Jesus is coming to Samaria, Jesus says, and the disciples are expecting to walk around. And Jesus says, I have to go through Samaria. But we've never set foot in there. Jesus goes in and he sits down of all people at this well and he meets a woman. Again, a woman of ill repute, if you will. He tells her, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not even your husband. The woman rightly says, you must be a prophet because I don't know you. And you don't know me. How do you know all this? Isn't it interesting that what we have recorded, the very first time that Jesus definitively proclaims that he is the Jewish Messiah, is not to the high priest, is not to the religious leaders in Israel, is not even to a Jewish person. The first time we have proclaimed in the Bible that Jesus clearly says, I am the Messiah, is to a Gentile Samaritan woman. Matthew 8, Roman centurion, obviously a Gentile, sort of got the short straw when he got pegged to go to, you know, stationed in Palestine. His servant is dying. And he asks Jesus, he says, you are a man of authority. My servant is dying. Would you just say the word and my servant shall be healed? I think there's more going on than him just knowing that Jesus is a person of authority. He would have understood the culture of the day. The culture of the day says, and certainly in the law, if you, if a Jewish person were to step foot inside the house of a Gentile, they would become ceremonially unclean. This guy's been in Palestine long enough to understand that. And he's not going to ask Jesus, Rabbi, to become unclean. He just says, you just say the words, and my servant will be healed. What faith. And of course, Jesus does say the words, and he says, your servant is healed. And then Jesus says these striking words in Matthew 8. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. This staggering statement. With no one in all of Israel thus far have I found such faith. Jesus is exalting this Roman centurion Gentile. This is the guy that has the faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west. And he's not talking about east and west Jerusalem. He's talking about the east and the west, the four corners of the world, and will recline at Ab with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What? Gentiles are going to be let into heaven and be reclining with the patriarchs? That's exactly what Jesus said. How? By faith in Jesus. 
And notice what he says. While the sons of the kingdom, who are the sons of the kingdom in this context? Jewish people. Be thrown into outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is proclaiming, first and foremost, people will be saved. People will come to know me as the Messiah. People get to heaven because of faith, not because of their last name, not because of their heritage alone. And even if a Roman centurion, maybe one of the most hated people in the land, places his faith in me and has faith in me, he will go to heaven. And people who are, who are dependent upon their last name or their heritage, if they reject me as their, their Messiah, they reject me as their Messiah, their destiny is hell, not heaven. Jesus goes on and on in the New Testament to proclaim the fact that he was the Messiah. Remember the story in Luke 4 when Jesus begins to proclaim to them um, and reads from the scroll of Isaiah 61. He reads and he leaves off this one little line that the people were clamoring about. He leaves off the line from Isaiah 61. He leaves it with, um, and I come to proclaim peace. He leaves off the line and the day of vengeance of our Lord. Who's the day of vengeance for to the Jewish people? Gentiles, not them. And they're going, hey, wait, 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 wait. You left off a part. Did you forget that part? Because Jesus didn't leave it off. He, he wasn't coming in this coming to bring the sword. He was coming in this side, this coming, if you will, to bring the, the servant's apron and the basin. He's coming to proclaim the gospel. The next time he comes, he's coming with a sword to proclaim judgment on the nations. But Jesus reminds them that even in that, he reminds them, beloved, that the story hasn't changed, that God is a missionary God. He reminds them, he says, do you remember the famine in the days of Elijah? There were a lot of starving widows at that time, but who did God send Elijah to help? Not a Jewish woman, but a woman from Sidon in Zarephath, a Gentile. God's always had a heart for Gentiles. He's always had a heart for the nations. He goes on to say, remember the time of Elisha? There were a lot of lepers in Israel, but whom did God cleanse? Naaman the Syrian, a Gentile. And what is the response of the people when Jesus says to them, wait a minute, wait a minute. The gospel is not just coming to the Jewish people, but it's coming to the Gentiles. God has a heart for all the people of the world. What was their response? In Luke 4, when they heard these things in the synagogue, they were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill of their town, which was built, so they could throw him off the cliff. I say they weren't happy. He wanted to include, and was preaching to include Gentiles in God's plan of salvation, and they were not happy. Of course, we see the final week of Jesus's life, the final week of Jesus's life, on what we refer to as Palm Sunday. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. People are crying out, Hosanna to the King, laying down palm branches, and Jesus is riding in on a what? A donkey. 
Why a donkey? Why not a camel? Why not a horse? Were they just tired of walking? Just, guy walked everywhere. Why, why a donkey? Why is it important for Jesus to enter Jerusalem on a donkey? It's important because he had to fulfill the prophecy of the prophet Zechariah. Have you read it recently? Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Amen? Righteous is he and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. He's got to come in on a donkey. That's what Zechariah said he would do. Comes in on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But notice what it continues to say. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the who? Nations. This Messiah, who's coming in, Hosanna to the king in the highest, in the very prophecy of him coming to his own people, embedded in that is a prophecy that he would speak peace, not only to the Jewish people, but to the nations. He shall rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You remember a few days later when Jesus cleanses the temple, when he flips over the tables of those who were defrauding people and extorting people in the temple. Do you remember what Jesus said in his absolute righteous indignation? Do you remember Jesus' phrase? He's not just angry. What is he specifically angry about? He says, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations. House shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations. Two more in the last of his life. Luke 24. You remember that famous story of the two men on the road to Emmaus. And they, they asked, they, before they knew it was Jesus, they said, but we hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. They're still focused just on Israel. And I, I get it. I, Israel is oppressed by a foreign Gentile land, and they're hoping that the Messiah would come and and be a military figure and, and kick the Romans out and restore Israel to all of her glory. That's going to happen in the future, no doubt about it. Read Romans 9, 10, 11. Israel will be restored. National Israel will be restored. Not right here. Jesus told them. In Luke 24, 45 to 48, he, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's just amazing. What, what would the scriptures have been? Understand the scriptures, the Old Testament. Don't you want to hear Jesus preach Jesus from the Old Testament? I hope this sermon's on an on a MP3 somewhere in heaven, because I want to hear this sermon. I want to hear Jesus take these two men from Genesis to Malachi 
and show them the thread of him throughout all of the Old Testament. I want to listen to that sermon. But he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, the Old Testament, and said to them, thus it is written in the Old Testament that the Christ should suffer, the Messiah, the anointed one should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name. Where? To all the nations. Certainly to Israel, and also to the nations. Jesus said that. That's what the Old Testament says, because that's who our God is. Our God is a missionary God. Beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Amazing. And of course, culminating one of the last statements on earth to his disciples, which will be part two. I hope you can come back the next service because this is our text for the next service. Matthew 28. Jesus tells his disciples the, some of his last words on earth, go into all the world and make disciples. Again, who? Of all the nations. Of all the nations. Beloved, do you get it? Do you get what Jesus is doing? Do you get what Jesus is saying? Do you get what Jesus is trying to instill within his followers? And beloved, what he wants to instill within us. Yes, we are to take the gospel to the streets of Bakersfield. Absolutely. Are you to be a gospel proclaimer to your family, to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your friends? Are we to be serious about taking the gospel here? Absolutely. And are we? Because it's the heart of God. Not just because it's a good idea. Because it's the heart of God, are we to take the gospel to the nations? Absolutely. It's not an either or. It's a both and, is it not? We are to take the gospel here to the streets of Bakersfield. Be serious about reaching this community with the gospel. And we are to be serious about reaching the nations. Reaching all of those places out there that have never heard the name of Jesus. As a beginning, remember, when I started, I said, take a, take a microphone, stick it in front of Costco and ask people. I guarantee you, 99.9% .9 of people in Costco would at least know something about Jesus. But you do understand that there are billions and billions not tens of thousands, not millions, but billions and billions of people in the world that if you were to stick a microphone in front of their face and say, what was the mission of Jesus? Their response would be, who's Jesus? I have no idea who that is. You don't know who Jesus is? You don't even heard the name? Never heard the name. Well, that's a problem. If the words of Jesus are true, and they are, and Jesus says, I am the way, not a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If the only way of salvation is through Jesus, and they don't know Jesus, they're in big trouble. And beloved, our responsibility from God and certainly from Jesus in his actions and in his discussions and in his communications 
are that you and I are part of this plan. None of us are exempt. Missions to the nations is not extra credit. Got it? We don't just get to reach Bakersfield and then have any monies left over, we have any time left over, oh, then we'll go think about that. We'll think about those people. I cannot emphasize enough, this is a both and. Hear me, I am not just saying, let's go reach those people and the heck with people here. I am not saying that. God has put us here in Bakersfield. We better be reaching the streets of Bakersfield with the gospel. We have to. And we need to, because it's the very heart of God, the very heart of Jesus himself, be reaching the nations and have a heart for the nations, be rising up nations, people within our church, within LBC, to go reach the nations. God bless your missionaries all over the world. Some of them are church planning, some of them are not. Not discounting for one second what they're doing. It's all important. It's all important. But God bless us as a church who would raise up people. God bless some of you who would answer the call to go to some of those unreached people groups that are out there. and Tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ before it's too late. And it is a difficult task. It is a long task. You heard Nathan and say, Shannon say, it's going to take 15 to 20 years. My son and my daughter-in-law and my three precious grandkids are getting ready to go in August to Papua New Guinea to reach a tribe. It was, I'll tell you what, it was a whole lot easier sending everybody else's kids. Come on, mom and dad, suck it up for the gospel. Come on, grandma and grandpa, suck it up for the gospel. You know what the number one reason missionaries don't go to the field? Moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. And I didn't get it before, and now I do get it. My wife gets it. We tried to talk to them and say, hey, you guys go and leave the three grandkids. We raised four kids. We got this. That, they're not going for it. Okay. I love it. Please. Please, understand the heart of our God. Reach the streets of Bakersfield and reach the nations. The next hour, we'll talk more about the Great Commission. I hope in a new way that you've never seen it before, of the privilege we have of being a part of that plan. Privilege we have of being a part of that plan for his glory and the proclamation of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its relevance and its application and the challenge to our soul. We pray that we would be gospel proclaimers here and to the nations, because that is your heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.